You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Pride Soccer Podcast. It is about 10 a.m. on August 22nd, and last night, Atlanta United won its fourth consecutive game with a 2-1 victory over D.C. United at Audi Field. Joseph Martinez opened the scoring in the 25th minute with assists from Marcelino Moreno and Anton Walks. It was equaled by a tremendous free kick and error by goalkeeper Brad Guzan in the 54th minute. And then after overcoming a deluge of D.C. United shots, which we'll get to in a minute, Marcelino Moreno hit a little uh, daisy cutter, as Kevin Egan would call it, in the 82nd minute, kind of back across the penalty box and through a crowd into the lower left corner to hand Rob Valentino a win in his last game in charge before Gonzalo Pineda takes over when the team resumes training on Tuesday. With the win, Atlanta United moved into a tie on points with D.C. United with 27 for the seventh place in the East, which is the final playoff spot. D.C. United has the tiebreakers right now, but there's still 13 games remaining for Atlanta United, most of them at home, starting next Saturday, August 28th, my daughter's birthday, coincidentally, uh, against Nashville at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in what should be a heck of a game. Uh, Both teams should be rested. Both teams should have had time to figure out whatever issues they may have. Should be a, a fantastic game to watch. Uh, let's go through the stats super quick. But as always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. DC United uh, with a remarkable 27 shots, but just seven on goal. Atlanta United with 13 and four. Atlanta United, this is one of the keys to the game, won 60.4% of the duels. Atlanta completed 81.8% of its passes and had a possession advantage of 53.2, excuse me, to 46.8. Julian Gressel led D.C. United with eight chances created. Gressel, obviously a former D.C., uh, I mean a former Atlanta United player. After the game, Brad Guzan said that in the locker room, George Bellow said he lost count of how many crosses Gressel put in. Uh, For Atlanta United... Brooks Lennon led the team with three, followed by Luis Araujo with two, Marcelino Moreno with two, and Barco with two. So Atlanta United was about efficiency more than anything else, and D.C. United was about volume. D.C. United could probably count itself unlucky to not have a few more goals. It had a couple of good chances that it didn't take advantage of. 
And, of course, Atlanta United had a clear and obvious penalty kick turned down by Sagafi uh, with really no explanation given. Um, it, just a horrible call uh, by the referee in that one. But that's how it goes. Um, let me see if I've missed anything here. Now, the game was Atlanta United's third in seven, ga- in seven days. Um, and there were long stretches where it kind of did appear to be out of gas. Some of that may also be the formation with having really just kind of one natural defensive midfielder in Amar Sadich, who Rob Valentino said after the game played tremendously well, instead of two, uh, which they typically have, um, really affected their ability to control the middle of the pitch. And DC United took full advantage of that for most of the game. But then I think DC kind of ran out of gas, uh, and Atlanta United really had control of the game for about the final 10 minutes or so, and that's when they got that winner. So let's move on to your questions. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And if you're up in Canton today at Youth Soccer Fields, you might see me. I'm going to be there supporting my stepson Chris and their team, the uh, Georgia Storm. Let's take a quick coffee sip here before I get into the questions. All right, Nick, friend of the podcast, says he wants to lodge a complaint, which reminds me of the famous Monty Python sketch about the dead parrot. Nick says it's pretty annoying to watch the fan base hammer Brad Guzan for little things because he is the captain and has generally played well, very, very well this season overall. We've only allowed one goal in three games, and the majority of our goals aren't Guzan's fault anyway. I get that Alec Can played well for a few games, but that shouldn't change Guzan's status for now. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, um, he is the captain. He is in a, a probably the second most high-profile position on the field outside of Joseph Martinez and striker. So when he does struggle, uh, it's going to be magnified. His salary, he's the highest-paid goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. Uh, by about $50,000 of, excuse me, Vermeer of LAFC. And when you're a guy like Alec Can comes in and plays well at a salary that's about $600,000 less or so, uh, I can understand why people are a little uh, curious to see what Can could do as a starter and what Atlanta United could do with that money. Do I think it's fair? Uh, well, it's fair, but it's probably not fair to boo Brad or, or magnify every mistake that he may made. He put his hand up last night on the free kick goal. It was He got caught off his line. He said he was trying to organize the defense, and he thought that Brooks Lennon was closer than he was to Jordi Reyna. Uh, still, it was a fantastic free kick by Reyna. Uh, he could drop 20 balls and not hit that one again, uh, I think. Um, so, yeah, those are my thoughts on that. Adam. Uh, says, thanks for answering my question from earlier this week. For this match, two topics. George Campbell looked great in relieving Alan Franco. How do you see him getting more minutes? Uh, Rob Valentino and Brad Guzan both said that Campbell was fantastic also. Or will this season just be short opportunities to showcase his quality? Is he a replacement for someone who moves on, or is he an option to sell for a profit? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I think both are possible. If the team were to sell Miles Robinson, I think Campbell would be the next guy up. I think Campbell is very, very good with the ball at his feet. He's got all the physical skills. He, he just needs, you know, some more tactical acumen 
which comes with experience and coaching. Um, and it is funny to me, and I tweeted this a couple of games ago when Campbell started. You see a lot of kids in Major League Soccer getting sold to clubs in Europe, and they barely played. Well, Campbell, to me, looks as good as a guy like Tanner Tessman for Dallas. I don't know why a club in Europe wouldn't go ahead and try to come in now while the price may be lower than what Campbell starts to play a lot. Um, because he's got all the tools. Uh, I think he's going to be a heck of a player. And then uh, Adam with a question about Guzan, uh, facing 27 shots and a two-plus expected goals, but only allowing one for two at his goal. Does a performance like this negate the negative opinions about Guzan, or is $800,000 just too much for any keeper regardless of performance? Um, do you think Can provides a win tonight? I don't know. I don't like comparing the two goalkeepers. Guzan made a heck of a lot of saves after that one gaffe, uh, including that one we had to dive down to his right at the last second. Um, it was a fantastic goal, or a fantastic save of, of a goal. Um, and if you go and you look through the Major League Soccer Players Association database, <clears throat> there are quite a few goalkeepers that make good, good money. Um, Vermeer is not the only one that's close to Guzan in salary. There's a few guys that make 600000 a couple of guys that make 500000 a couple of guys that make 400000 It's not European soccer player money, but it's good money in Major League Soccer and in the United States. Um, so I think you'll start to see more salaries kind of approach what Guzan makes than uh, going the other way. A different Adam with a question. This is the third match in a row where Atlanta United struggled in the second half, at least in part from the five stripes midfielders struggling to provide outlets for the defense because defensive marking is more chaotic. What might Panetta do to stop this trend? Well, okay, some of this, Adam, is uh, DC was throwing a lot of players forward to try to uh, find holes in Atlanta United's defense. So there were a lot of runners. There had to be a lot of communication among Atlanta United's defenders to try to keep them from exploiting that space. Um, and Atlanta United was trying to keep a few guys up for a counterattack. Uh, and they had a couple. They just didn't get to pay off. Uh, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, what might Pineda do to stop this trend? I think the easiest thing is changing the formation. But this formation is working for Atlanta United. So I don't quite know what what he does. I posited a theory a long time ago about Miles Robinson becoming kind of a super sweeper and letting him be able to go wherever he wants to on the field. That could be another kind of solution on defense. They play three at the back. Uh, when the ball is not in their third, Miles moves very far forward and uh, becomes an outlet for passing. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Coffee sip here real quick. But that's the first thing that comes to mind. Or just keep more possession of the ball. It's hard to imagine that Atlanta United can keep more possession than it already does. But Adam's second question. Assuming a mostly healthy squad when Atlanta hits the next scheduling crunch, do you expect to see matches where the likes of Marino and Barco don't start? And if so, who slots into the middle when Marino rests? Well, Marino hasn't really been playing in the middle per se. He's kind of been drifting around. Um and no, I don't see anybody of the normal starters resting until Atlanta United has comfortably secured a playoff spot. That is the goal. That is why they got rid of, well, one of the reasons they got rid of Heinze, the reason they got rid of DeBoer last year to try to make the playoffs. Um, so, you know, they're taking this very seriously. And as such, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of rotation. Now, this is a curious question, and I don't I don't understand it, uh, but I'll – 
I'm going to ask it anyway. This is from Michael. What would it take for us to get Julian Gressel back? Could we drop Jurgen Dom's salary and use allocation money to get Julian back? Julian is another in a long line of players that y'all keep asking if they can come back or will they come back or if they're coming back. Um, the, the team moved them on for a reason. We don't have to think the reason was good or agree with their logic, but they did. It's very rare to bring somebody back, and I don't think they're bringing Gressel back. Um, not He's a great player, and I don't think they should have got rid of him in the first place. Um, to be honest with you, I thought he was a future captain for Atlanta United, a, a lifer, uh, based upon his comments and thoughts and everything. Um, but they did, and so I don't think he would. He's going to come back. Um, so anyway, I mean, he he looked fantastic last night. He's really grown under the new manager at DC United. Uh, everything was a struggle last year, uh, but he's playing very very well and, and kind of showing his quality and. He's got a beautiful family up in D.C. now, and I'm sure he's got a life that he's enjoying, And so I don't see him coming back to Atlanta. Uh, Josh asks, apropos of nothing in particular, <laughs> I'd love to hear you talk about how a referee who performs incompetently is typically handled by the PRO referee organization. I'd also love to hear the best example you're aware of when a soccer referee was held accountable for incompetence. Uh, so typically, you know, the, the PRO will do the reviews and post them during the week. Uh, that includes mistakes made by the referees. I got to figure this is going to be the mistake by Sagafi on the Joseph Martinez non-penalty is going to be a mistake uh, that they'll post. Uh, typically, there's in-house uh, reprimands. Uh, if it's a really egregious error, uh, the referee won't be used for the next round of games. Uh, sometimes a couple of rounds of games. Um, as far as the best example. I I mean, I know of examples, but I can't really recall any names right now of referees who've been suspended for playoff series and stuff um, because of, of uh, bad calls or poor calls or a lack of calls. Um, yeah, I thought Sagafi I thought Sagafi was much better in the second half than he was in the first half. First half, he kind of lost the plot, uh, but then he kind of recovered, and uh, it was a tough game. To try to ref, it was wide open. There was a lot of physical play, but missing that penalty and not even reviewing it, that that was the thing that didn't make any sense to me. Um, so we'll see what PRO posts on its social media channels. <laughs> and if you don't follow them, you should. And if you don't follow me, you should. Uh, at Doug Robertson, at AJC on Twitter. And here is what I believe is our final question for this Oh, no, we're going to have one more from Sean. Uh, this is from Noah. Is Atlanta United back? And then he actually has a follow-up question. Uh, is Atlanta United back? Well, you know, not until they qualify for the playoffs can you say, I think, that Atlanta United is back. And right now, they're still below the playoff line. Um, they've got an interesting stretch of games upcoming. So let's look at that real quick because it's my podcast and I can take as much time as I want to. <laughs> Nashville. That's a tough game. It's at home. Orlando, very tough game at home. Uh, I know Atlanta United would love to get six points, but I think anywhere from two to four would probably be good in that stretch. Cincinnati at home, that's got to be a win. D.C. United at home, that should be a win. At Philadelphia, that's tough. And Miami at home, that should be a win. Um, so it's it's a tough stretch. Of, well, it's, it's a balanced 
tough games in Nashville, Orlando. Easier game against Cincinnati. Tough games against D.C. and Philadelphia. Inter-Miami's playing well right now. Montreal is playing well right now. Toronto absolutely stinks. So we'll see. It's it's not going to be a uh, – I don't think Atlanta United is going to walk into the playoffs. It's going to take a every game, all effort, every minute type of performance uh, for it to happen. And uh, Noah says, I feel like I never know these things, but why is Guzan being booed in D.C. like he's Michael Bradley? Uh, because of the U.S. failure to qualify for the World Cup. And some of it isn't boos. It's actually people saying goos. Um, but I can understand why it's difficult to not be able to tell between the two. Um, and then the last question, Sean, another friend of the podcast, uh, where do we go from here? Only five points separate us from second place, so there's a lot to play for. I feel so much more invigorated as a fan because I feel we have our our identity back as an attacking team. So Atlanta United has 27 points. Philadelphia has 32 points. Nashville has 32 points, but has a game in hand. New York City has 31 points, but has two games in hand. Uh, Orlando has 34 points. I mean, I guess Atlanta can realistically shoot for trying to catch Orlando because it does have one game left with them, so it's like a six-pointer, so to speak. But what Atlanta United needs to keep doing is just keep building on what it has done. Um, I still think it needs to shore up the the midfield a little bit, the formation. Um, I guess a team like D.C. United playing one midfielder. Uh, Marino was dropping in and trying to be another midfielder, but that's not really his inclination and not really his best skill set. So trying to figure out the, the formation is going to be job number one, I think. Uh, or not job number job number two for Pineda. Job number one is just getting to know the players and making relationships with the players to get that trust that Valentino has, um, for example. So, yeah, that's what that's what needs to be done. And, you know, hopefully San, so Santiago Sosa will be back for the Nashville game. Um, I thought Sadich played really well. Huzetu, a lot of y'all keep calling for Huzetu, and this is not meant as a knock against Huzetu. I guess it's more of a patience kind of thing. I still don't know what he brings. I don't know what his best attributes are. I don't know how he helps the team based upon more than a season's worth of games. Um, doesn't really break lines with passes. He doesn't really out-dribble anybody. He appears to be a smart player. Uh, he positions himself well. Um so I think it's just he needs to get more of a run of consistent minutes and see what, what he can do. But with Sosa coming back and possibly Abara coming back, I just don't know when that's going to happen. So anyway, uh, question for y'all. I'm curious, you know, y'all y'all make fun of me a little bit. I think it's good-natured fun, and I appreciate that about my coffee. Uh, what is your favorite coffee? Where's your favorite coffee shop? Um, I'd love to hear that. I like to explore and get out and about um, when I can. Um, all right. And this is Doug Robertson with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It's doing tremendously well. And I want to thank y'all for that. I think it has everything to do with your excellent questions. Um, and please support everybody else's work that covers the team from the guys at Dirty South to soccer down here. Um, all the local guys, please. Um, they deserve it. They work very hard. Um, they provide great content. Uh, Siempre United, uh, all those guys, um, just please support them. And uh, I'm supposed to be able to talk to Pineda 
on Monday. So please look for uh, quite a few stories from that interview. And y'all, please be safe. Wear a mask. Um, I hope you're vaccinated. I'd like to keep receiving questions from you. I'd like to keep seeing you at the stadium, seeing you when we're out and about. And we'll talk to you later. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.